coming to you from a cozy little condo high atop old Fort Ward, Atlanta. Welcome, Welcome to The Ron Show on America One Radio. Here's your host, Ron Roberts. And y'all, not only do I not have the air conditioning on, I'm wearing a hoodie. It's a Falcons hoodie, and it may even wind up being part of my Halloween costume. Hi, this is Ron Roberts, host of The Ron Show on the America One Radio app, AmericaOneRadio.com. Or wherever you podcast, and I, I'm not actually dressing up for Halloween. However, because like uh, head coach Arthur Smith, I have grown a mustache, I can throw a hat on, Falcon's hat, Falcon's hoodie, all of a sudden, boom. For Halloween, I am head coach Arthur Smith. <laughs> I digress. Uh, he is already, I think, in a, in a pretty scary situation in and of itself now that uh, we are looking at the, uh, the, the NFL trade deadline he coaches a 4-4 four and four team that is technically in first place in the NFC South, and the winner of that division gets to host a playoff game, although is he coaching a team worthy of the playoffs right now? We lost Grady Jarrett for the season. We did trade for someone to sort of... Re- you can't replace Grady Jarrett, though. Uh, and now we've got a quarterback controversy. You did not come here to listen to me talk sports. <laughs> I keep having to do that. Remind not you, but me. Anyway. How are you? Uh, it's kind of a light news day, so I thought I would dive in on some things that uh, caught my eye that obviously I might be a little more interested in than you, but I hope you are as well. We are uh, approaching the date, if not just the start date, but at least the date for a legislative special session of the General Assembly, November 29th, to redraw maps. And in the case where we found out last week the current Georgia congressional maps were wiped out. The plaintiffs actually presented a map to the court that shows how there would be more majority black voter districts and how they could be created, how the map would look. The Georgia legislature, by the way, has no obligation to consider this map. But when you look at it as a a, a guide of sorts, uh, I'm sitting here looking at what's been presented and what I see aren't necessarily overt wins or losses for either party, but I see more competitive districts. So uh, we should caution liberals against popping champagne bottles too soon. I saw this tweet from uh, Dave Wasserman with the Cook Political Report, and this tweet kind of makes some sense. The reason the new Georgia ruling, he tweets, might not result in a Democratic gain. Even if Republicans are forced to draw a new black majority seat in the western Atlanta suburbs, the Georgia 7th Congressional District in the example that he cites on Twitter, by the way, they could still easily gerrymander the rest of the lines to preserve their current nine Republican, five Democrat edge. Something to bear in mind. And by the way, I'll, I'll share that tweet. And uh, Mark Neese at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution wrote a in-depth article, which included some, uh, some map possibilities and more uh, at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I will share that. Now, U.S. District Court Judge Steve Jones, when bringing this ruling, uh, ruling down last week, said that the state has to draw a fifth-majority black state uh, congressional seat but also required seven additional majority black state house and state senate districts as well. What will be interesting to see is when the General Assembly convenes with its 57% majority GOP contingent, if, and, and I, I hate to, to, to label uh, what 
Dave Wasserman says as pessimistic, I actually think it's just realistic for him to cite that Republicans will probably try and just gerrymander in a different manner, rearranging the deck chairs, so to speak, that Judge Jones actually wrote in the ruling that the state cannot fix maps that violate the Voting Rights Act's protections against racial discrimination by then eliminating districts with substantial minority populations as well. So it'll just be interesting to see how they are going to tinker with this. And if they're willing, I, I just cannot foresee a scenario where a majority Republican state house comes to convene and then says, well, the judge says we got to do this. Let's just retreat. Have we ever known Republicans to just cede power? I mean, we actually only need look no further than Alabama, where they had <laughs> a similar court ruling that they pushed to the Supreme Court, and then the Supreme Court didn't come to their aid, and then they just decided to ignore it until they were, through the judicial system, forced to redraw their maps. So, and we only have literally about 12 months before voters are going to be choosing new congressional representation in, in what district, uh, new state house representation in, in which drawn districts and, and Senate as well. So it'll just be interesting to see how this all plays out and how swiftly, if at all, the state legislature remedies their three maps to the satisfaction of the U.S. district court system. We are, after all, talking about a party with a large chunk of its base who was then and still is in large part unwilling to accept the results of the 2020 election. So, incidentally, while this special session will take place on or starting November 29th, I'm kind of unclear if they're going to try and do this in one day or uh, if that'll uh, have an extended session beyond that. Anyway, there is some reporting that there may actually be more on the agenda than just redrawing maps. In the wake of a rise in anti-Semitic behavior in the state of Georgia, even before the Israeli-Hamas war sort of uh, riled its its ugly head here a few weeks ago, we were dealing with leaflets left on lawns and uh, projected messages, and that's even ramped up a little bit. In fact, you know what? The debut of WABE's Politically Georgia show, which of course has been the Politically Georgia podcast from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution all this time, featuring Bill Nygut as host, debuted yesterday, and this was the first topic of discussion. Over the weekend, we saw another very distressing, disturbing um, a sign of anti-Semitism displayed in uh, the Atlanta area, a group that um, calls itself the GDL, projected a laser image on Interstate 75 in Cobb County on a, on a bridge that essentially praised Hitler. They went on and sent out social media attacking Jews. This is an organization that has unfurled banners over highways uh, uh, with hate messages about Jews. Um, and um, we're starting to learn, uh, thanks to our colleague Chris Joyner, that many of these activities that they're involved with are also ways that they raise money for the organization. Exactly. It gives them notoriety. Sometimes they actually live stream these incidents and they get donations from donors far beyond uh, far beyond the U.S., really. And look, I mean, uh, politically, Georgia, we like to kind of 
roll back the curtain sometimes and let our listeners peek behind what we do. And in this case, I often, I'm a proud member of the Jewish community here in Atlanta, I often get texts and emails and messages about various acts of anti-Semitism or others around the community. And it's a debate whether or not to amplify this. Um, and after I talked to some community leaders over the weekend, I decided to, to tweet it and not amplify it. And, and there's now going there's now an active investigation in Cobb County. But it is always that balance about, you know, by talking about this, we, we don't let it fester in a vacuum, but also we do bring attention uh, and we give them the attention they crave. So it, it, it's a debate, but I think in this case, it's one of those where we've seen Georgia leaders condemn it unequivocally. Republicans, Democrats, nonpartisan leaders say that this sort of acts of hate have no place in Georgia. That was an exchange from Bill Nygut, who you remember used to be on Georgia Public Radio, now on the Politically Georgia podcast along with Tia Mitchell, and that was the voice of Greg Bluestein, uh, both from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, who you heard speaking there earlier. I should also, by the way, point out that the AJC's Patricia Murphy was uh, on the Politically Georgia podcast uh, and show as well yesterday. I don't know if she's a regular or not. Uh, anyway, getting back to the legislative action, this discussion came up in yesterday's episode. Um, I'm curious to see what the legislative reaction will be, um, because it's not just the uh, the, the bill that that we've been discussing for years now that would define anti-Semitism as a hate crime that's been pending in the Georgia legislature, which might have new life next year, especially after a number of Georgia legislative leaders and the governor went to Israel in May on a, on a, on a trade delegation. But also, if you look at what Florida has done, um, there is a new Florida line, a law that Governor DeSantis signed last year or this year with bipartisan support that criminalizes distribution of litter on private property, which would uh, criminalize these anti-Semitic and these racist and uh, propaganda mailers, leaflets that were sent out to a number of homes, not just in Jewish neighbors, but all over Georgia, but also it criminalizes projecting images and text onto private property without the owner's consent. So a lot of these messages that we've seen, just not just in Georgia, but all over the nation, uh, racist and anti-Semitic messages uh, could be targeted by this sort of legislation. Now, whether or not they'll get to do that with this special session or if they'll have to wait till next General Assembly session when the calendar flips into 2024, yet to be seen. It'll be interesting to see how this all plays out, though, because at what point do you start to call out other forms of perceived hate? I can remember, by the way, driving home uh, when I lived in Myrtle Beach, I'd come to Georgia to visit family. We would, you know, maybe sometimes go on a vacation and we're driving back on Highway 501 through rural South Carolina to get back to Myrtle Beach. And I can't remember if it was always on Saturdays or Sundays. It was on one of those days. There, there are always a lot of people on Highway 501 heading into Myrtle Beach to vacation. And in the town of Aner, South Carolina, invariably over this new overpass that they built over Highway 501 for local residents to get from one side to the other without having to cross the busy highway, there were always these white nationalists there flying Confederate flags. Does that also count as hate speech? Well, I would imagine you might find some African Americans who would think that it is, and do you include that? Or are we just going to be specific and speak to anti-Semitism? And if we're going to speak to anti-Semitism, do we not have to speak to Islamophobia as well? And do we also have to speak to LGBTQIA speech 
or anti-LGBTQIA speech as well. Trust me when I tell you, I'm sitting here looking at Georgia's hate crimes laws, and while there are uh, laws against uh, vandalism, against places of worship, uh, crime of terroristic acts, which include a burning or flaming cross or other burning or flaming symbol uh, or flambeau with the intent to terrorize, there, there is no law in the book about projecting verbiage or flying certain flags or banners that target marginalized communities. Now, trust me when I say, I think this sort of policy is long overdue, but there are extreme First Amendment rights advocates who are going to play the slippery slope card. And I think that's honestly why Esther Panitch's legislation didn't pass muster the first time. I think this is a conversation we're going to be having for weeks, if not months, to come. The Ron Show returns after this on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Welcome back to the Tuesday Ron Show. In Georgia, we often have days where we go from, I'm going to go lay out by the pool and get some sun, to, did you bring in some firewood for tonight? And we're not having a day like that, although I thoroughly enjoy not running the air conditioner today. Not going to lie. We've had the windows open for a while. Today is a little bit more of a cracked window kind of day, and the cats like that cool breeze coming in and the smell of the grass from the outside. And I sleep better at night with um, natural airflow versus air conditioning anyway. I went to dinner last night, uh, met up with my uh, friends uh, Ludwig and uh, William showed up later, and I was freezing because we have this penchant for just loving some air conditioning in the South, right? Well into October. And the temperature had already dipped, but that restaurant, you know how it is. Like the, the folks who work the kitchen and the wait staff, they're busting their tails. They're swerking up a sweat. And so the air conditioning is kind of more set for them than it is for uh, their clientele. And thank goodness I had, instead of going there in shorts and a t-shirt as I was dressed before I was uh, approached to go to dinner, I decided, you know what? Ron, you get chilly kind of sooner than most people do. Put on some jeans, put on a hoodie, and I did, and I was still chilly. Uh, I say all that to say that we are uh, set for freezing temperatures uh, here in the state of Georgia, and uh, we're also, by the way, in, in the bit of a, what, what do they call it? A high fire damage zone as well. <laughs> Jeez. I, I say all that because I was uh, reading a, a GPB article that um, mentioned that today's National Weather Service map <laughs> Shows us with, uh, you know, dotted with uh, what they call deep purple freeze warnings, rich pinks, which would be red flag warnings, uh, and turquoise blue, which are freeze watches. Uh, the article states that each of these colors symbolizes a weather hazard many Georgians are likely to experience over the next week. So, uh, in fact, here in Atlanta, uh, our building, we started getting the, uh, the note to leave our faucets dripping overnight. I think that's a little rash, but better safe than sorry, especially after what we went through last uh, Christmas. Y'all remember that? Oof, that was oof, that was brutal. Uh, like, I think we're getting down into the 40s tonight. No, I'm sorry. We're getting into the 30s overnight tonight. That's why they want that stuff dripping. Um, and it'll be like that for the foreseeable future before we get back into the 70s, mid-70s for Saturday. So I thought I'd just pass that along. If you uh, live in and around Metro Atlanta, and you are a little concerned about your plumbing, especially after what we all went through last year. You may want to leave them bad boys dripping. Now, that red flag warning is a little concerning, too, though, when you think about it, because this is that time of year where folks love to burn 
leaves. <laughs> I, I, and look, I, I'm right there with you. Uh, when I was a kid, that's how we used to. Uh, that's how we used to deal with the 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 brush and the leaves, and we just burned them bad boys. But uh, with the uh, drier air and the lack of precipitation that we've had here for quite a while, actually, uh, a brush fire even if you think it's contained, could become something more severe. And the last thing we want to do is be to our neighbors what the Canadian wildfires were to us a lot of this past spring and summer. So use caution, heed warnings, and if there are burn bans where you live, of course, obey those local laws. Now, right now, looking at the National Weather Service map, it looks like uh, we're in the clear as far as the red flag warnings go, but they are experiencing those already in in around the Montgomery, Alabama area. So hopefully we'll keep our fingers crossed. We can get a little bit of moisture to come in here over the next few days. Although the forecast I saw, oh boy. Yeah, I, I don't see any rain in the forecast. Not that that means a darn thing, but I don't know, this is the time of year where, you know, you like the, the campfire, the bonfire, the sitting around the, the, the campfire bonfire where, you know, it's chilly at night, but you, the, the fire's keeping you. I love that that balance, that, that chill in the air, but the warmth from the fire and uh, toasted marshmallows and s'mores and adult beverages. But I digress. Okay, uh, pivoting real quick because I have about uh, three and a half minutes before we go to break here. Uh, there has been a, a lot of discussion especially on this show of late, what to do with the $11.7 billion surplus. And actually, when you consider the emergency reserves that are already baked into law in the state of Georgia, it's more like $16 billion. What what to do with that surplus? I, I feel like we're, we're that kid with the, the, the shiny new quarter in our pocket and we're at the store with mom and we want to spend it. There's candy there and we could get five of those pieces of candy for five cents each and uh, you know what i mean that being said we also know that we have a governor who is likely priming to run for a u.s senate seat and what better way than to curry some favor than by doling out some tax breaks i guess it's all a matter of semantics uh, the right governor kemp i'm sure will try and frame this as well that's the people's money or we could see the left or those who espouse some expansion of services that have been starved in this state for quite a while to build a surplus uh, in, in many cases as unspent tax dollars. So a report was put out today by the Georgia Budget and Policy Institute, which is a left-leaning nonprofit that looks at government spending. Anyway, this report, uh, the GBPI recommends the state's spend its money on some ideas that don't include Medicaid expansion, by the way. I'm so surprised by that. I thought that would be right there on the list for them. Uh, but they talked uh, a good bit about uh, setting up a $7.5 billion child care trust fund, self-sustaining, to provide access to affordable child care for uh, tens of thousands of families in the state of Georgia each year. In this report, it was also advised that the state modernize its 20,000 school bus fleet uh, at a cost between $850 million to $2.7 billion. This report, by the way, was put together by a senior fiscal analyst for the uh, Budget and Policy Institute. His name is Dan Canzo. He used to be an aide to then-Republican Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle. Interesting that he's now working for the Georgia Budget Policy Institute, which again is left-leaning. 
The other, I would say, pragmatic wish list item, I think this entire wish list is uh, sort of pragmatic in and of itself, uh, would have the state uh, incentivizing with bonuses for the state government's workforce to address its high turnover rate, uh, which would include prioritizing frontline workers, such as those in mental health. Uh, and Kanto also said that the state government workforce declined by nearly 6,400 full-time staffers between 2018 and 2022. By that year, the state had a record 29% employee turnover rate, at least partly, he says, because the private sector was begging for workers and luring state staffers with higher salaries. The Georgia Budget Policy Institute recommends $5,000 bonuses this year and pay raises the following years to help reduce turnover. I will provide a link to that report in today's show notes at ronshowatl.com. Marjorie Taylor Greene is in New Hampshire stumping for Donald Trump. And talking about running herself for the office soon, maybe, we'll discuss in minutes when the Ron Show returns on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com, or wherever you podcast. Follow the Ron Show on Facebook at The Ron Show Radio. The Ron Show on America One Radio. Uh, show notes tomorrow, joining me will be Dom Kelly, who's been on the show before. He is the co-founder and CEO for the New Disabled South and the New Disabled South Rising Political Action Committee. Uh, he and I will discuss the story we talked about yesterday after listening to testimony uh, from two judges in the state of Georgia who told a Senate Human Rights Subcommittee uh, that the Georgia Department of Family and Children's Services sought to detain special needs kids that could not be placed, like jail. Think of that. I mean, to, to get them out of hotels, to get them out of their offices, to detain them by other means. Uh, by the way, uh, Senator John Ossoff uh, was uh, co-chairing that subcommittee. He appeared earlier today on the uh, Atlanta Journal-Constitution and WABE Radio's Politically Georgia podcast. We'll have some audio of that as well, when we discuss uh, that bombshell statement given yesterday by two judges at the subcommittee with uh, Dom Kelly from the New Disabled South and New Disabled South Rising. I also hope to talk to him a little bit about the Republican push to increase cash bail for several more offenses, minor and misdemeanor offenses, in the wake of the last time he was here, he dropped that stat on us. It's one of those things that like, I'll never forget. Upwards of two-thirds of those imprisoned uh, throughout the United States suffer from either a physical and or mental disability. And as I'm reminded, his Twitter or X handle is the underscore tattooed Jew. I cannot help but want to discuss Israel and Palestine. He has... From just the temperature check, I would check on his uh, Twitter activity. To the surprise of many, this really does surprise a lot of folks when you find that there are Jewish Americans who are sympathetic to those in Gaza. And as a matter of fact, we just saw this breaking here a few minutes ago, uh, another Israeli bombing of what appears to be uh, an apartment area in a Gazan refugee camp. And by the way, there, there's already some media pushback 
towards uh, the Israeli military on this attack. Uh, Wolf Blitzer talking to an IDF spokesperson earlier. Let me give you a little taste of that back and forth. We went. We were focused and again on our target, a senior, senior commander Wolf, and we'll be updating uh, you with more data as the hour moves ahead. But even if that uh, Hamas commander was there amidst all those Palestinian refugees who are in that in that Jabalia refugee camp, Israel still went ahead and, and dropped a bomb there, attempting to kill this Hamas. Uh, this Hamas, Hamas commander, knowing that a lot of innocent civilians, men, women, and children, presumably would be killed. Is that what I'm hearing? That's not what you're hearing, Wolf. We, again, were focused on this commander. Again, who you'll get more data who this man was. Uh, killed many, many Israelis. Uh, we're doing everything we can. These are It's a very complicated battle space. There could be infrastructure there. There could be tunnels there. Uh, we're still looking into it, and we'll give you more data as the hour moves ahead. But you know that there are a lot of refugees, a lot of innocent civilians, men, women, and children in that refugee camp as well, right? This is the tragedy of war, Wolf. I mean, we, as you know, we've been saying for days, move south. Civilians are not involved with Hamas. Please move south. Yeah, I'm just uh, trying to get a little we, bit more information. Uh, you knew there were civilians there. You knew there were refugees, all sorts of refugees. But you decided to still drop a bomb on that refugee camp, attempting to kill the Hamas commander. By the way, was he killed? I can't confirm yet. There will be more uh, updated. He, yes, we know that he was killed. Um, about the civilians there, we're doing everything we can to minimize. Uh, I'll, tell, I'll say it again. Sadly, they are hiding themselves within civilian population. And again, we are doing this stage by stage, and we're going to go after every one of these terrorists who was involved in that heinous attack on the 7th of October. Wolf. Naturally, Israel has every right to defend itself and to seek retribution for those who committed heinous atrocities on October 7th. However, I, I have to just kind of draw a line and pivot and say, I I, re- I I really wish they were doing more to minimize the civilian casualties uh, in, in Gaza. I I, I just do, and, and I I'm not going to lie. There and and I I get a little feedback from time to time from folks anytime I talk about this. Why are you pro Hamas? I'm not pro Hamas. Why are you an anti? I'm not an anti Semite. I'm not. I'm not even going to. Uh, legitimize that sort of uh, accusation with much conversation. That is not the case. I I happen to be pro-humanity, pro-two-state solution. I can be pro-Israel without being pro-Netanyahu as well. I I legitimately think Benjamin Netanyahu manages to avoid a lot of the blame for, and and I'm not going to sit here and say that the attack on October 7th was asked for or called for anything like that, but the, the table was set. The table had been long set for something to happen. Uh, and in an unspeakable manner, it, it did. And uh, see, you, you can't even have that discussion without the fear coming off as being, well, Israel had it coming to it. See, that's not at all. It's, it's such, 
we've been dealing with this for decades this this conflict this arab israeli uh, conflict this arab jewish conflict for centuries in that region and uh, they're they're just uh, again i'm 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 pro humanity pro two state solution i'm anti senseless death i've always been and this goes back to my opposition to our invading iraq i'm i'm very much against uh, you know, painting with a wide brush when it comes to military action. I like surgical a lot better. It, it, it took care of Osama bin Laden. I, I happen to think the the Israeli military, and, and by the way, its intelligence is second to none globally. I happen to think I, I have an immense respect for, for their capabilities to do things in a more surgical manner, and yet that's not the choice being made. As for those who say, well, why don't they just leave? They're, they're being told this, this is going to be bombed. Why don't they just leave? Well, in a lot of cases, where, first of all, where to? Where do you go? You go to the south. You find that the Egyptian border is closed. You are surrounded by walls everywhere else. There is uh, and long has been a marine blockade in the water. So where and, and, and what country is going to welcome refugees with open arms right now after dealing with Ukrainian refugees and Syrian refugees and refugees throughout the world due to climate change and unrest elsewhere. Where? where? And also, if you can, just for a second, think like the Palestinian might think. Every time there is retreat for the Palestinian, they lose land, they lose settlement. We've all seen those maps that show you what the two-state solution looked like in the 1940s and the 1960s and the 1970s, the 1980s and the 90s, and today it's uh, it's 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 like a dissolve. It's it's almost like putting a big piece of cotton candy in the water and you just watch as it continues to dissolve. There is that very real fear. You leave, there's nothing to come back to. Very real fear of that. Again, make no mistake. I am all forgetting those who perpetrated. Horrible acts on October 7th. Get them, bring justice to them. I just happen to think swinging with a wide brush only injures and kills nearly, what, 10,000 innocents now? And how does that bring the two sides any closer together? Okay, enough of that. I said I was going to talk about Marjorie. Um, Marjorie Taylor Greene in New Hampshire Stumping for uh, President, former President Donald Trump as he's running for the nomination again in New Hampshire, the first primary on the calendar in January. And <laughs> while she's there stumping for Donald Trump, she was more the story than Donald Trump and his 91 indictments and this, that, and the other. Listen to the, how WMUR TV9, an ABC affiliate in New Hampshire, handles her story. In Donald Trump's political movement, she is something of a folk hero. She's always tip of the spear. Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene lived up to the hype for a crowd of MAGA volunteers at Trump headquarters in Manchester Monday morning, urging them to keep up their work to return the former president to the White House. I serve in the dirty, nasty, disgusting swamp in Washington, D.C. And it is Democrat controlled with Joe Biden in the White House. He doesn't even know he's there. He has dementia so bad. Hold up. Who's got dementia? How about the man who can't get Sioux Falls and Sioux City right? 
Very big hello to a place where we've done very well, Sioux Falls. Thank mm-hmm. you very much, Sioux Falls. Uh, yeah, he's reminded. So, Sioux City, let me ask you, how many people come, how many people come from Sioux City? How many people? Huh? Hey, Marge, what do you think happened there, hon? He doesn't even know he's there. His dementia is so bad. This week in D.C., Congress will be fighting over Green's motion to censure Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib for alleged anti-Semitism and controversial comments about the war between Israel and Hamas. Some people criticize the censure resolution is going too far, that the congresswoman should have the right to say what she wants. How do you respond? Well, you know, Congress has the right to censure her as well. And any member of the United States should not be so hateful to our greatest ally, and and that's Israel. This is the woman who, by the way, blamed California wildfires on space lasers controlled by the Rothschilds. This is Green's first ever trip to the Granite State. Her status as a staunch Trump ally and her connection to the MAGA Republican base could eventually make her a more frequent visitor. Are you somebody we should consider as a potential presidential candidate down the road sometime? Maybe. We'll see what happens. I certainly love my country and I'll do everything I can to protect it. And there are definitely Republicans who want to see the Congresswoman back here in New Hampshire for future election cycles as well. I think she's a straight shooter. I think she's for the people. She's everything we need. In Manchester, Adam Sexton, WMUR News 9. Y'all, the, the, that's New Hampshire. I mean, lest you think that, you know, MAGA, MAGA morons don't just exist in the South, y'all. That's not just a Southern thing. That's New Hampshire. Oh, boy. No, speaking of uh, presidential aspirants, I guess we should point out, by the way, that uh, former Vice President Mike Pence, who was right there in Trump's camp until January 6, 2021, and is too afraid to speak ill of the former president in any meaningful way, much like Ron DeSantis, which is why neither one of them really get any traction. Uh, anyway, Mike Pence dropped out over the weekend, or suspended his campaign, I guess I should say. That always means dropping out. Uh, The latest polling from uh, Iowa, uh, another one of the early primary states, shows Donald Trump still below 50% in Iowa, so you're saying there's a chance. But get this, uh, Ron DeSantis continues to lose his grip on second place. Now he is tied, a virtual tie for second place, with Nikki Haley uh, at 16%, the both of them. Uh, Tim Scott at 7%, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy at 4%, Chris Christie at 4%, uh, Doug Bergam at three, Asa Hutchinson at one. I don't even, I, I, did they take Mike Pence out of this poll? He wasn't even on there, which may explain why he dropped out. Trump has a similarly commanding lead in New Hampshire with Nikki Haley and DeSantis. And I thought I remembered once upon a time, Chris Christie had a second place showing in New Hampshire. Now he's looking like he's a fourth place uh, aspirant. Uh, in South Carolina, Nikki Haley's state, the state she was governor in, that Tim Scott is a senator from, 53% supports Donald Trump. Nikki Haley, a distant second, trailing by 31%. She has 22% of her own state's voters. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis at 11%. By the, by the way, there's the, the vicious rumor <laughs> that Eric Erickson spent time on today on his show talking about the fact that, uh, or I'm sorry, the rumor that Ron DeSantis wears lifts in his shoes because height is something that they need to be focusing on. Uh, By the way, Tim Scott from South Carolina in fourth place in his own state with just 6% 
of potential South Carolina primary voters. Y'all, Donald Trump is not just the presumptive nominee. Something, and it's, it's not 91 indictments, something major would have to happen for him not to be the nominee for the Republican Party's presidential ticket. And make no mistake, Marjorie's up there shaking hands and kissing babies. Bless them babies. Because she wants to be his vice presidential pick. Fathom that. And y'all wonder why I spend so much time hand-wringing over the dissonance with grassroots organizers here and around Atlanta because of Cop City or because of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict and the hyperbolic, I believe, labeling of President Joe Biden as a genocide president or unhappy folks who still have student loans to deal with because he hasn't been able to handle that on his own. While the right is coalescing around indicted and Madam Batch, the left is coming apart at the seams. Quick break back after this. Final segment of the Ron Show for Tuesday. As we talked earlier in the show, there's... And long before the Israeli Hamas, uh, the attack on uh, Israel by Hamas on October 7th and uh, the military action since then, long before then, We've seen a rise in anti-Semitic behavior and rhetoric and uh, the, the, the litter on the lawns and the projecting uh, statements on overpasses and buildings, uh, demonstrations across the street from synagogues. This has been going on for months, if not years. I, we, we saw a spike in anti-Semitic uh, behavior, uh, white nationalist behavior, uh, you know, during the Trump presidency as well. <clears throat> so th- there are folks who are rightfully on edge. Uh, this earlier today from a Senate subcommittee where Senator John Ossoff, who is a Jewish American citizen, uh, secured a commitment from federal law enforcement to protect Georgians from anti-Semitic threats. As several senators have raised, and as you're well aware, Secretary's, Secretary Mayorkas and Director Ray, there's uh, significant apprehension, concern, fear in the Jewish community in Georgia and nationwide, as well as in the Muslim community as the uh, domestic political discourse has become so polarized as various hate groups uh, and factions have expressed hateful speech and as threats have been made. You both over the last year, and I commend and thank you for this, been highly responsive to my office as we've worked to connect your personnel with institutions and communities in Georgia who require the forms of assistance and counsel that you each respectively offer. Secretary Mayorkas, in your case, uh, helping communities and institutions to mitigate and understand threats. Director Ray, in your case, uh, helping communities and institutions have a point of contact with federal law enforcement in in the event they receive threats and applying your investigative tools to investigate threats. Uh, Given the heightened level of concern and fear and threat at this moment, I would just like a commitment briefly from each of you that you will continue to make yourself available to my office and to Georgians who require your help. Most certainly, Senator. Absolutely. Speaking of Homeland Secretary Mayorkas, uh, he and Josh Hawley got into a heated back and forth because Senator Hawley was trying to point out that someone who was employed by Homeland Security was also on social media denouncing Israel and posting pro-Palestinian, maybe pro-Hamas rhetoric. I want you to listen to this back and forth. Mayorkas gave Holly his lunch. 
May your conscience haunt your dreams until your last breath. Palestine will be free one day. F apartheid Israel and is any Israeli. What, this is pretty extreme rhetoric, don't you think? Senator, um, I do, and I think there is a distinction between espousing or endorsing terrorist ideology and uh, speech uh, that is uh, odious, that does not rise to that um, level. Fair enough. This person works for you. This is Nuja Ali, an employee of the Department of Homeland Security, who posted these comments on October the 7th. That's not all she posted. She also posted this graphic. Now, this is a fake graphic, I want to be clear, but I think we understand it. This is a paraglider, a Hamas paraglider, depicted here with a machine gun flying into Israel. She posted it under her online alias with the celebratory Free Palestine. Mr. Secretary, what, what's going on here? Is this, is this typical of, of people who work at DHS? This is an asylum and immigration officer who is posting these, frankly, pro-genocidal slogans and images on the day that Israelis are being slaughtered in their beds. What have you done about this? Four things I'd like to say to you. Number one, your question to suggest that it, that is emblematic of the men and women of the Department of Homeland Security is despicable. Number I'm sorry, two, what have you, this person works for the Department of Homeland Security. Have you fired her? That was one of four answers. Have you fired her? One. Have you fired her? Don't come to this hearing room when Israel has been invaded and Jewish students are barricaded in libraries in this country and cannot be escorted out because they are threatened for their lives, you have employees who are celebrating genocide and you are saying it's despicable for me to ask the question? Has she been fired? Mr. Chairman. Mr. Secretary. After um, the consumption of Senator Hawley's time, I'd like to speak. Has she been fired? This went on for a couple more minutes, and then Secretary Mayorkas, asking for some time to respond after Hawley's time had expired, went off. I would, and I'm not sure I'll limit it to 60 seconds. That's fine. Number one, uh, what I found despicable is the implication uh, that uh, this language, tremendously odious, um, uh, actually could be emblematic of the sentiments of the 260,000 men and women of the Department of Homeland Security, number one. Number two, uh, Senator Hawley takes an adversarial approach to me in this question, and perhaps he doesn't know my own background. Perhaps he does not know that I am the child of a Holocaust survivor. Perhaps he does not know that my mother lost almost all her family at the hands of the Nazis. And so I find his adversarial tone to be entirely misplaced. I find it to be disrespectful of me and my heritage. Mm -hmm. And I do not expect an apology, but I did want to say what I just articulated. Thank you. Mr. Chairman, can, can I just respond since he has referenced me personally? Senator Hawley, we need to move on. Senator uh, Romney, you're... Uh... <laughs> oh, no, he didn't get to respond. Josh Hawley, by the way, seems to be unaware that, you know, it, it takes time to fire somebody. <laughs> it, it, it's not like you see on TV, you walk in, uh, the boss walks in and looks at the person, you're fired. It, it just doesn't work like that. I just had a cat sitting next to me who just took off. You're not fired, baby. Poor Dooley.
God, the audacity, the chutzpah of a, a man who who helped incite an insurrection wants to act holier than the oh man, Ugh. Uh, the performance artistry of that guy. Anyway, I just wanted to share that with you before we left. That is going to do it for today's Ron show. Uh, we'll be back here tomorrow, 5 to 6 p.m. on the America One Radio app, americaoneradio.com. Lots of show notes from today. I'll have them for you at ronshowatl.com. And don't forget, uh, tomorrow, Dom Kelly from the New Disabled South and New Disabled South Rising Pack will be joining us to talk about cash bail and detaining special needs foster kids in the state. Ugh. We'll see you then. Have a good one.